0: Everybody and welcome back to another episode of the fear cast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, dealing with phobias and fears and struggles and stresses and stuff in our life that we just simply don't like and ultimately how to live with them how to live through them and how to get over them as best we possibly can and to whatever degree that phrase getting over them means to you. So um, I'm your host Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed clinician. And Uh, I specialize in the treatment of Osteen anxiety. To no surprise, right? Well, uh, welcome back, everybody. If you are a previous listener, uh, thanks so much for returning. If you are a new listener, welcome for the first time. Hopefully, this episode won't be uh, too weird, but will be um, uh, exemplary of what this podcast actually is. So, for those of you who don't know, for those of you who do know, uh, this is a podcast that is uh, question and answer based. So if you have a question, um, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, uh, send it over through there. There's going to be a submit a question link there. Uh, I will get the question from you. Generally, it is about um, OCD and anxiety spectrum disorders, things like that. And um, I will answer them here on the podcast. And this episode is no different. I will be going over to, count them, Two questions. Um, I know things have been getting really exciting. I've been answering two questions. I think I've answered two questions on the last three, including this one episode, because I've been getting a ton of more questions so that's exciting it's exciting for me that um, uh, 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 that I'm getting a lot more questions I wonder if it's indicative of the fact that more people are at home more people are obsessing they're getting in their head about things and they're unable some folks are unable to go to their therapist as much so they're messaging me either way thank you all for considering sending in those questions I'm delighted to get them and delighted to answer them I should mention before moving on if you like the podcast, shoot me over a little review or go over to uh, iTunes or Spotify or SoundCloud or wherever else I have the podcast, wherever else you're listening to it right now. Um, Write a little review, give me a little thumbs up, a star, a like whatever it is that uh, is on that format. Um, It, um, as I've said before, it warms my dead little black heart uh, to uh, know that people are listening. um, And it ultimately helps other people to find the podcast. So um, the best advertising as well, if this podcast could ever get is word of mouth. So if you like it, if you found it to be helpful in any way, um, tell a friend, tell a coworker, tell someone in your group, tell your therapist. Um, again, the more people who listen, the more questions come in, the more questions come in, the more I get to answer, and then possibly the more podcast episodes there are. So we're just going to keep doing these podcasts until I stop getting questions. So before I get into the questions, I um, I had a session this past week with one of my clients, and uh, we were talking about slowing down, we we're talking about getting some uh, uh, perspective and reevaluating some things in life. And the illustration that, that that they were using was the idea of taking the time out to sharpen your axe before you go back and continue to try to chop down this tree. And I I thought it was kind of a beautiful example. It's kind of this idea that that you, I mean, you can chop down a tree with with a blunt axe. It's just gonna take so stinking long. And we're going to exhaust ourselves. It's less efficient. It's not going to be cutting off as much wood with each chop. But we sometimes get this idea that we can't really slow down to take the time off to sharpen that axe because it's going to be downtime, it's going to be wasted time. And what do we have to do? We just have to keep plugging away at the task that we're doing. And we're not as efficient, we're not as effective in what we're doing. So we were kind of thinking about, well, what does it look like to take time out to sharpen your axe? Um, Well, first off, we can ask, what does it mean to even sharpen your axe? For some of us, it's going to be to think about a better strategy for the task at hand. For some of us, it's going to be reevaluating the things that are actually important in life rather than, you know, the chopping with a blunt axe would be, you know, keep plugging away at life and just keep pushing on with work and school and friends and family and, you know, the house chores, whatever it is that we're doing, but just keep doing it the same way without thinking about more efficient ways to do it or more reasonable ways to do it. I also thought that this analogy worked out really well in terms of how we sometimes address our fears and phobias, that at times you and I will know that there are things bugging us. There are things that offer a struggle to us or that are obstacles or that we, you know, have have this worry about, you know, what's gonna happen. So what do we do? We get back into our compulsive cycle. And again, that can be, you know, excessive ritualized hand washing. It can be routines that don't make any sense in real life. It can be continually reading the same things over and over and over again. It can be asking for reassurances. It can be avoidances. Again, you know the things that you're doing but it's that idea that what are we doing in all of that why are we going through all of that process and sometimes we just don't want to take time to slow down because gosh if we slow down what if what if our bad thing happens what if the bottom falls out and we fall into that trap what if if i slow down i'm going to discover that thing is true so i just need to keep my head down keep working keep moving on with my relationship, keep washing my hands, keep reading uh, my philosophy book. If I just keep doing this, I'm safe, right? But we know it's exhausting. We know we're spending so much time and effort putting in all of this energy in places that are inefficient to our own energy, to our own uh, uh, goals in life, and we're exhausted. So for any of you listeners out there, I wonder if you've taken some time out to reevaluate how you can sharpen your axe, how you can slow down a little bit and to think about the things that you're doing repetitively. Is it helpful? Are there better ways to do that? Not saying are there you know better, more efficient ways to wash your hands, um, but are, are the things that we're doing, the chopping uh, with the blunt axe, is that getting us closer towards our goals, our values? Not the th- not not our short-term goals, right? But our ultimate goals, right? Do we really enjoy the compulsions that we're doing, or are we doing them just to satisfy that short-term need? Do we know that by? Do we rationally know that you know when I avoid going up and talking to a new group of people? Yeah, I'm, I, I feel comfortable in the moment, but I also know that it just my avoidances further me into this hole of isolation and makes me continually think that I'm not going to get any more friends. Am I sending in applications to jobs that I just don't love, that I just don't like in a career that I just don't like? So what are the things that you're doing? And you may not be doing anything. You might be on the right track, which is fantastic. But in this kind of, in in the pandemic, in the plague, um, we've all been forced to slow down a little bit and to reevaluate something. Some of us have had some uh, good times to reevaluate, to look at the things that we're doing and say, man, I get to finally get back to focusing on this task or learning this uh, uh, skill or um, finishing that project, which is great. Some folks have been having a really hard time because now they have all this free time just to obsess, but they're, again, now it's more time to just keep swinging away with that blunt ax and they're not really getting anywhere. So if I were to offer a challenge to anybody before I get onto these questions, it's to think about where's your blunt ax? What is your swinging with this blunt ax? Is there something you can do this next week that will help you to reevaluate that, to think about something you're doing a little bit differently, and think about a more efficient way to get closer towards your values, which which may actually be pulling back on some of those compulsions. Again, just bashing our head against the wall, trying to get the same thing done, but ultimately it doesn't get done right but take some time this next week to thinking about how you can slow down and reevaluate your priorities and how you can take time and what do we mean for you to take time to pull away and sharpen your axe so that you can get back to the task at hand with more strength, more focus and more efficiency all right now again i keep I keep putting off getting off to the questions, but um, I got an email this morning from a listener named Oz. So uh, it's not a question. It is just a comment. So I wanted to read this and just say um, uh, thank you so much for sending this in. Uh, Oz says, hey, Kevin. My name is Oz, and I'm 18 years old. I stumbled upon your podcast, and I just wanted to say it really helped me. I was recently diagnosed with POCD, and before that, I was miserable. I kept convincing myself that I was a pedophile rather than who I really am, and he says parenthetically, and to be honest, I still do sometimes, but it's manageable. He goes on to say, However, i I just listened to your POCD episode, and you said some things that I'd never thought about, and I can't wait to share them with my therapist. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. Well, Oz, thank you so much for listening. And um, also, I'm I'm really glad that that episode was beneficial to you, that you liked it, that it that uh, you found some things that really resonated with you. That is the point of all of this. So that's why I keep doing this. That's why I keep answering questions, and um, it means a lot to me that all of you are listening. So. All right, everybody, enough about that. Let's get on to the questions. So this first question comes from Maria. Maria says, Hello, Kevin, I hope all is well. In general, I've noticed myself having high anxiety over sinful situations as I'm afraid of committing a sin, particularly a mortal sin. Separately from this, um, Maria emailed me secondly, or after this one, just to clarify that she is a Catholic. So, um, I think that was also understood in the discussion of mortal sins, but she wanted to clarify, Catholic. Anyhow, she goes on to say, One example is standing in line for confession. I'm terribly anxious that I may be trying to listen to the confession, even though I don't want to. Another example is my mind spiraling out of control with thoughts of other men who are not my husband. I'm terribly anxious that I'm cheating on my husband even though I don't want to. My reactions to these thoughts are not normal. Rather than peacefully letting them go, I find myself rapidly blinking or shaking my head to get them away. I was told that this was due to fear rather than infidelity or wanting to sin. So, my question is, from a therapist's perspective, are there any practical techniques I can practice to overcome this irrational state of mind? Thank you, and God bless. All right, Maria, thank you so much for this question. Um, this is a really good question. I really like these kinds of questions. Um, I find that I address a question like this probably every once every two weeks with a client or uh, uh, someone messaging me with a a question. Um, So these thoughts are really, really common. So first off, Maria, a couple of resources that I really recommend for you if you aren't aware of them now. And they're ultimately kind of related. One is called Scrupulous Anonymous. So, Scrupulous Anonymous is a group run by a Catholic priest. It's all, they're all Catholic priests, and um, it addresses directly, specifically, issues related to religious scrupulosity, and even more to the point, dealing with or addressing uh, their concerns from a Catholic perspective, a Roman Catholic perspective, I suppose. So, they're online, and they put out a, um, a newsletter every— every couple of months, they send out a newsletter if you subscribe to it. Um, and they have a, a, a little section that kind of talks about an issue related to religious scrupulosity, and then they answer some questions. Um, I'll be honest, some of uh, some of that structure is a little bit of the um, inspiration for this podcast itself. So, um, I do owe a lot to um, Scrupulous Anonymous uh, for what they do. They've been around for years. Uh, if you go back and listen to one of my episodes On the scrupulosity series, the uh, the faith and doubt series, I interviewed um, uh, Father Tom Santa. He runs um, uh, Scrupulous Anonymous, and uh, he uh, is is brilliant. So I'd encourage you to listen to that. But he also wrote a book called Understanding Scrupulosity, and it's it is a book from top uh, essentially from top to bottom with questions and answers along this line. So if you have questions, I would encourage you to check out that book. That might be a really good start. So, with a lot of what you've said, I I, I definitely agree, or I, I certainly agree with um, with this the, the, this w- what you've been told about these thoughts. They're they they're they're natural. They're thoughts. These are thoughts that people have, not just the scrupulous, not just the quote sinful. Everybody. Has these thoughts, whether you're in a dating relationship or a married relationship or in no relationship, you're going to have attractive or, as I call them, sexy time thoughts about people who are not your spouse or your loved one, your boyfriend or your girlfriend or the quote, the person you're supposed to or are, uh, is the designated sexy time thought target. If that's a, a phrase, we're going to have these. So, part of what we're doing here is, well, a part of, a first step here is acceptance, accepting that this is normal. So, acceptance is going to be an incredibly important key to this, but certainly also exposures, and we're going to get into that shortly. So, something that's important to note here is that we don't free ourselves from the thought, therefore making them go away. Instead, we free ourselves from being on the hook to them meaning that we are then no longer obligated to prove or extinguish or to reject the notions the thought gives us. So, we can't free ourselves from having the thought, but we free ourselves from the obligation to address them or to fix them or to respond to them. Sometimes we then think, well, what do I do with the responsibility of this thought? Surely something has to happen. Well, Exposure from a religious perspective can be treated as an act of faith, and I would highly encourage you to view approaching these thoughts in an act of faith perspective. So, in other words, trusting God is who He says He is, and that He loves you, cares for you, and more importantly, He knows what you're about. He knows who you truly are. So, we're giving up the responsibility to fix them. Instead, we're going to give them over to God. Now, what that means is you are no longer on the hook to then fix them, resolve them, prove that they're not your responsibility, shake your head, blink your eyes, uh, jump up and down, run in a circle. Instead, we say, oh, yeah, there's that thought. It feels bad and uncomfortable. But you know what? It's not my problem, right? I'm going to give that to God. That's God's problems now. And he's bigger than your problem, right? So you can use this as an act of faith. It's scary, and it's uncomfortable. It may be hard to do, but we can start to take that perspective, and it it again it takes us off the hook from that fixing position. So, yes, for some tips, I got some for you. So, the first thing is I want you to discuss these problems with a trusted confessor who knows what's happening. That means that's someone who understands what OCD is, who knows the history of your problems, who knows who you are and your intentions. And you can discuss that with them because they are going to be able to consistently give you some advice from a spiritual perspective on how to approach and manage and deal with some of these thoughts, again, from a spiritual perspective i have a sneaking suspicion that you've already done this though and i'm willing to bet you kind of alluded to this that that confessor that priest that pastor has said these thoughts are fine so if that's the case we're going to trust those words trust that idea and then emotionally put that into practice secondly i also want you to extend self-compassion you aren't perfect you have a human brain and you have ocd So what does that mean? It means that you and I are going to have a strong sense, from a human perspective, you and I are going to have a strong sense of doubt, questioning, judgment, guilt, and shame. And OCD is going to give you a strong sense of self-doubt, questions, judgment, guilt, and shame. So you can remind yourself in this, you can say, you know what, self, I'm human, and these are human thoughts. God knows who I truly am. Now, this is part of an acceptance perspective. If that is sometimes turned into a compulsion, ultimately saying, I'm okay, nothing bad is ever going to happen because of these thoughts, then we need to shift those into, a compu- into an exposure, and that's going to be something to talk about. But extend, extending that compassion to yourself, if this, if this idea helps you to take yourself off the hook from beating yourself up or raking yourself over the coals for the fact that you have these thoughts. You may or may not be taking that perspective, but if you do, you need some self-compassion. The next, is, the next tip would be to acknowledge your core intention. Now, this can help you to develop this firm grounding to then take this leap of faith into exposure. So, think about, do you want to have these thoughts, or are they thrust upon you? Meaning, are they intrusive thoughts, or are you seeking out these sexy time thoughts about these other men? Well, you already said, you don't want to. So, therefore, these are intrusive thoughts, and therefore, OCD. It's helpful to also practice resisting the urge to constantly go back to your intentions and reviewing what your intentions are and whether it's true or it's false, because we get stuck in this black-and-white, all-or-nothing sort of mindset that either our intentions or our core self is supposed to be all-pure or we are all-sinful, or that I should have only pure thoughts about uh, other people— or I'm a disgusting monster. Instead, you and I, everybody is kind of stuck in this gray area. We generally, for the most of us, the most part of us, right? We have these good intentions, these good desires, these hopeful. Um, perspectives that we're taking on things. We want to try to be the best person that we can. But you know what? We're human. And sometimes we do things and think things and act in ways that we just don't like and just don't want and don't intend to. But you know what? That's kind of what we do. And it's also, there's a certain part of us that kind of likes doing things that we're not supposed to do. If, we, if it didn't feel good to do things that we're quote, not supposed to do, we wouldn't do them, right? There may be a small part of you, if we think about it and acknowledge it, that enjoys thinking about other people. You might enjoy thinking about men who are not your husband. You know what that is? That's human. Obviously, that's not what you want, as you've said. And I think that for a lot of us, if we could take that little part of us and just snap our fingers and make all that go away, we would, um, because that would help us get towards our our, our main and central and, and identified value. But you know what? We can't. Despite all of our efforts, we can't. So what do we do? We're stuck in this middle section. And that's part of partially where that uh, identifying what our direction is, our core intention, that we're trying to be the best that we can, whilst extending self-compassion to ourselves, self, self-compassion, self, anyways, you get the idea. It's extending compassion to ourself when we don't live up to those. That's okay. So, we pick ourselves up and we keep moving forward. Also remember, OCD has us think and obsess on the worst thing for us. So often, our OCD fears, or our fears in general, can highlight our true desires and what we really value. You don't want to cheat or commit a mortal sin. So likely, your brain is saying, don't do this thing. This would be awful, so think about this all the time so you can avoid this. So, instead of taking every thought seriously, we're going to say, you know what, this thought is probably my OCD. Now, if it's OCD, we're going to treat it like it's OCD. So, I'll talk about one phase here. The second phase is going to be the exposure phase. And I'm going to encourage you to work with a therapist on crafting the right exposures and the specific exposures for you to further lean into that fear. There's going to be some specifics and some discussion on what your values are and what's acceptable to you and what you're willing to tolerate and things like that. So I'd encourage you to chat with a a, a licensed uh, professional on that. The first phase, though, is going to be the response prevention phase. Now, remember, there are two parts to exposure and response prevention, the exposure and response prevention. If everybody listening to this podcast only did the response prevention part, you would do pretty stinking well, because life is going to give you exposures, right? You, in the course of living your life, you're going to confession because that's the type of person, type of lady you want to be. And you're going to find exposures because, unfortunately, we can't just be we can't craft our world reasonably to never have exposures. So you've got exposures. So in the response prevention phase, we are intentionally holding and pulling back and pulling away from our compulsive thoughts, actions, intentions, urges that are trying to help us resist or minimize, or destroy that sense of fear. Instead, we're going to let ourselves feel it. Remember, feeling at the end of the world, feelings are stupid. We've talked about this before. We give them way too much credit. So, as an idea, here's what I'd love for you to try, is go to confession as normal, and look at people around you. Kind of observe what they look like, describe what those people are wearing you know you can describe to yourself oh that guy's got a hat on he probably doesn't have a hat on in church but anyways oh that guy's got a a hat on that person has has blue pants oh that person's attractive that person has brown hair i don't know and but also describe to yourself what the thoughts are well, you can notice that you're, you're, you're having thoughts of you know, what, what you're going to talk about in, in your confession. Um, you're also having thoughts of imagining them naked, or thoughts you know, the, the word sex or the word cheater is just blaring in your head. Well, instead of trying to fight them or trying to convince yourself that they're not there or that you're a bad person for being there or for having them there, instead, acknowledge that they are there. Allow them to be there. So, what does that look like, though, right? You said in your question that your reactions to these thoughts aren't normal. You said, rather than peacefully letting them go, I find myself blinking and shaking your head to make them go away. So, that idea of peacefully letting them go, instead of peacefully letting them go as if you are trying to do something to push them away, you're like taking this like calm, nice way and shoving it out of your head, right? Instead of taking that perspective of peacefully letting them go, instead, think about that you are peacefully allowing them to stay, and that they're going to leave whenever they're ready. So, we're not peacefully you know, saying, there's the door, have a nice day. Instead, we're saying, stay however long you want, because you're not a threat to me. You're not a danger to me. These are thoughts. These are my dumb thoughts that my dumb brain has given me. And they're not the end of the world. They're never going to kill me. And they don't necessarily mean what I think they mean. So, you can stay, and I'll just deal. And trust that those thoughts are going to go away when they're going to go away, because they will. During this time, by the way, resist that urge to blink. Resist that blink excessively. Blink normally, or your eyes are really going to hurt. Resist the urge to blink excessively or shaking your head with the thoughts. That's that's going to be a struggle. But practice reducing that sitting with that thought for longer and longer periods of time. Think about this. Can you do it to a count of 10 before you blink or shake your head? Can you do it to a count of 20? How about to a minute? Can you do five minutes without shaking your head? Try to go five minutes without shaking your head or 20 seconds or five seconds, whatever you can do, and then shake your head and then add a second or two onto that. See if you can extend that out and practice, again, letting peacefully letting them stay as long as they want while holding space for them, observing how the anxiety rises and falls throughout all of that. So... All right, Maria, I think that's what I've got for you today. Practice some of that. And again, talking with a a, a therapist on how to specifically address with exposures. Now, exposures are going to be intentionally leaning into them to make it more intense. Right now, it sounds like just going to confession is going to be tough enough. So, just go to confession. Practice peacefully letting the thoughts stay, not peacefully trying to let them go. It's a different perspective, but something worth trying. So, all right, Maria thank you so much for this question. And I hope uh, my answer uh, helped and gave you some guidance. So best of luck. All right. So this next question comes from Michelle. Michelle says, Hi, Kevin. I'm an avid listener of your podcast and have been struggling with ROCD and HOCD since last summer. My OCD came out of what seems nowhere and completely took over my relationship. I feel like I've managed to take it down from a 10 to a three or a four on a bad day. Thoughts are still there, sometimes stronger than at other times. And they almost always make me feel uncomfortable. However, they don't make me feel as debilitated as before. I was also diagnosed with PTSD and did EMDR therapy for that, and I'm now doing CBT. However, there are some things I've noticed about my ROCD as it's going down. 1. When I do have intrusive thoughts, it feels stronger and more real than before, with less anxiety and feels a bit more concrete. 2. HOCD is through the roof now, and again, it feels stronger and, quote, more real. I also feel like I'm never going to be normal again, never going to be happy in my relationship, even though I'm very happy with my amazing boyfriend. She then says, like I'm lying to myself about wanting to be with him. However, I have fought against ROCD for so long and I'm confident in us. Would you be able to do a podcast about the correlation between ROCD and HOCD and why they are so connected and why it feels so real? Thank you so much for all you do. Michelle. So, Michelle, thank you so much for that question. And yes, unfortunately, there is this strong overlap between ROCD and HOCD. And gosh, it just feels like those two are custom built for one another, just tailor made for their own existence. And they feed off one another, they encourage one another, they validate one another. And it just feels like when ROCD is there, HOCD shows up a lot and vice versa. And it's incredibly frustrating. You are certainly not the first person to have, have experienced that. These two are really custom built for one another, as I said. The The only other one, the only other uh, um, kind of uh, uh, one that can fit into that Venn diagram that fits really perfectly is, is POCD. So POCD and ROCD show up a lot. POCD and HOCD, I'll see them. Sometimes we'll get lucky and we'll see the trifecta of all three. It's that, again, it's, it's not that any of those things are necessarily true, it's just that they are uncomfortable thoughts. It feels like we're not supposed to have these thoughts because we're supposed to be perfect people, I guess. But the question as to why it feels so real, it's, it can probably simply be answered as, well, that's OCD, OCD tends to overestimate the importance of the feelings, we focus on them way too much, we give them a lot more credit and meaning and value than the average person would, and then we respond to them in, in excess. So to the point about overvaluing them, it's that, remember, you emailed me, you didn't email a relationship advice podcast. So there's part of you that also believes that this is OCD. So it doesn't feel completely real, but it feels intense, it feels scary. As to why it is they show up together, again, they are custom-built for one another, and, but remember that simply for the fact that they show up more often, or they show up together more often, it doesn't then validate the other, it just validates that we're fearful and doubtful, and that OCD has a pretty strong grip on our brain, and that you and I are afraid of bad crap happening in our life. I'm afraid of it, you're afraid of it. And OCD, like the first uh, questioner, um, they, they reflect our core values and they reflect things that are so near and dear to us, like our happiness, our relationships, our sexuality. All these things are really central to who it is that we are and what it is that we find important in our life. It's kind of like saying, well, why is it the religious people get religious scrup so much? It's because they care about it. My atheist clients, very typically, they aren't getting religious scrupulosity. That said, sometimes they do get this, because sometimes OCD doesn't really make any sense. And any attempts to get to the bottom of those fears will often lead to anxiety, frustration, and kind of more uncertainty. Sometimes with the feeling so real, going back to that, is that... Um, With our partner, uh, very often we're we're always with them, right? If you're married to your um, partner, um, they're always there. They're always there. So, you're always going to be around this trigger of yours. So, And even if you aren't married to them, we're always, if it's ROCD, if it's HOCD, we're always going to be around people, right? We're always going to see someone who's attractive, more charismatic, more fun, more sexy, fill in the blank, right, than our partner. And I say that about myself, right? So, the, the, the other part is relationships are hard, right? These things are important to us. I reached out to some of my colleagues on this uh, just to ask them uh, about the, this, this Venn diagram between HOCD and ROCD and what their thoughts were. And uh, one of my brilliant colleagues, Laura Yoakum, reached out and responded with, they both play on the theme of whether or not this person's the one. And think about all the implications of that if it's h o c d is am i with the wrong gender if it's r o c d am i with the right person and would i be truly happy with this other with with someone else and it kind of plays it out right am i going to spend the rest of my life with a a person a gender that i don't like that i don't that i don't truly want and is it going to bum me out forever that's a sad thought to think that maybe we will it's scary too now, with both of these, as the intensity of these thoughts and, these, and, and the feelings and that level of uh, so real or importance starts to increase, it's a fantastic opportunity to, to practice acceptance also with greater intensity. So we'll have to show our thoughts and our fears that we that we are willing to go there, and that you and I are willing to handle anything that comes our way. Act has this fantastic metaphor. It's um, I suppose it's a little outdated. Um, it's, it, it's think about like a radio. So, the example is the radio example. So, it's this idea that, that there's this radio with two knobs. One is a volume knob. Um, it kinda, it's kind of the, the, the radio of our fear, the radio of our discomfort, right? So, one is going to be the volume, and it just goes up and down. Now, you and I can't control the volume of up and down. Sometimes it's really loud, and sometimes it's really soft and quiet. We want it to be soft and quiet, but obviously... It's really loud sometimes. Now the other knob, the, the second knob on this thing is the one that you and I can control, and that's our willingness knob. Now you can think about it as as that volume knob goes up, our we you and I have the choice to turn our willingness knob up. Pain and discomfort often comes from us setting the willingness knob lower than the volume knob, saying, I'm not willing to go there. It's just too much. It's too high. Or I don't want it to be that high. It shouldn't be that high, right? So we keep it low. I'm only willing to go to a five. But if it's at an eight, well, it's going to be uncomfortable. If the volume is at a 10 and we only want to go to two, I mean, that's a lot of pain and discomfort we're going to have to accept. Perhaps a a, a more tangible example is going to be the cold, right? Right. So in winter, theoretically, some in some places it gets cold. Like it got like to fifty degrees uh, uh, Fahrenheit here in Southern California, right? That's freezing. I know I've had clients in like Montana who um, like there the temperature there goes to like negative forty, which I don't even know what I don't even know what that means. Negative forty doesn't make any sense. Anyways, so when it gets down to like ugh, like fifty out here, it's crazy. Um, am I willing to deal with that? That temperature, right? Now it's going to be really cold if I go outside. It will. But am I willing to put on a jacket? Well, maybe I say, well, I'm only willing to put on a long sleeve shirt. Well, if I go outside, it's really going to still be cold. So if I go, you know what, I'm not willing to put on any more clothes. Well, then I'm going to have to deal with the fact that I'm going to be really cold still. But if I say, you know, it's 50, all right, I'll put on a long sleeve shirt and a sweatshirt. Well, that might handle it, right? That might get me closer to what's tolerable. But man, if it's a negative 40, sweatshirt and long sleeve shirt ain't gonna cut it. So the question is, am I willing to put on more clothes and do more intense things to meet the standards or to meet the environmental struggles? question for us in our anxiety, are we willing to emotionally meet our anxiety where it is, and our fear and our doubt where it is, and make space for it, and to make accommodations for it, and appropriately respond to it? That's a perspective that we're going to have to take in order to beat this, in order to get through it, and in order to manage it appropriately. So Michelle, if you've never done an exposure script, I think that this might be a really good time to practice one. Now, if you if you Google exposure script, you're going to find plenty of examples or plenty of ways to do it. Uh, you can get any number of OCD books, and they're going to have examples of them already in it. I think if you get the you can get the mindfulness workbook for OCD, you can get the uh, looking at my bookshelf right now. You can get the Jonathan Grayson book that's got a bunch of examples in it uh, of how to do them. But for you, writing a script. <coughs> essentially with the themes that go like this, that you you are never going to be happy again in your relationship because of the HOCD or any other type of OCD. So putting it in an exposure script that, that you're never going to be happy again in any relationship you're ever going to be in because of the HOCD or any other type of OCD that may crop up at some point in the future, despite all All the therapy that you do, despite the people that you talk to, the podcasts that you email, the books that you read, that you're never going to be fully present or invested or happy in your relationship. It's going to be a lifelong, at best, you're going to have a lifelong companionate relationship or just a series of short, meaningful, kind of loveless relationships because of the OCD and the questions and the doubts. Furthermore, you spend the rest of your life drawn towards women, but never fully into them or convinced that you're gay, but also spending the rest of your life attracted to men, but never fully convinced that you're straight, and that you never resolve to a sexuality or an interest or a relationship that feels fulfilling. Now, if that thought was a bummer to you, it should be. Because that thought's a bummer, right? Nobody wants that story, but the idea is this: that we don't know if that's what's going to happen in your question you kept going oh i'm you know i'm 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 happy with my relationship cool for right now though so we tolerate what we we tolerate the thought because the thought is what we have right now it's not the truth of it because the truth of it isn't what you have said what you actually have what you actually have is you're happy in your relationship awesome keep being happy in your relationship but anticipate that you know what maybe i'm going to discover this thing about my relationship in the future i'm going to have to sit with that anxiety of that thought And instead, live with that thought, but go continue enjoying your happy, awesome relationship. It's a combination of those two things. This is increasing our willingness to have these gross, disgusting, uncomfortable thoughts, and you're turning up that knob, or you're putting on more clothes to manage the cold, right? So, keep pushing into those thoughts and those feelings. And I hope that this answer makes sense. Hope this guidance makes sense. Um, If you haven't found a therapist or aren't working with a therapist right now, I'd encourage you to give it a try. But thank you so much for the question, and I hope it helped. All right, everybody, thank you so much for making it through this episode of the FearCast. This is episode 45. I'll tell you, whenever things get to like a five or a zero, it feels more official. It feels like we've made a, a benchmark. I think I'll feel this way when I get to 50. Uh, it's just a surprise that every time I keep doing these, the number keeps going up. I know that sounds silly, but um, it's quite a surprise. So again, thank you all for listening to this. Um, if you have a question for a future episode and would like me to uh, answer it, um, shoot it to me over at FearCastPodcast.com. Um you can also go check me out at um Instagram, I am Fearcast Podcast uh, over there. Uh- I have not been good at posting things, but uh, I do have a backlog of a bunch of stuff you can check out. But um, if uh, enough people hound me, I will start posting again. Um, But more importantly, um, check me out there. If you have any other feedback for these questions that you would like me to add to a future episode, um, message me at fearcastpodcast.com. I would love to add other advice or guidance that all of you or some of you think are important or helpful or if I missed something. Or if you're kind of in the same situation, shoot me a message and, um, you know, let me know what you've done that has helped. Also, it's been a while since I've asked for this, if you have any feedback for the podcast, meaning if you would like uh, to hear more of something, if you would like to hear less of something, if you'd like a specific segment on X, if you would like, uh, uh, basically, if there's something that you find or you think that that would be more beneficial to the podcast, let me know. I'm always interested to find out how I can make this better. So shoot me a message over there, over at the pod. Or excuse me, shoot me a message over at the website, and I'm happy to take this into consideration. All right, everybody. Uh, Please remember that the Fearcast is not substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about uh, how to get better and how to get connected with a therapist, go over to fearcastpodcast.com. There are some guidance, uh, or there's some websites that uh, some links and some stuff up there that uh, might be beneficial. If you go to the find help link um, at that website, so. All right, everybody, until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.